Why can't we skip Revelation? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by the Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. So, Josh, we are talking about the one of the more intimidating books of the Bible. Yes. One yeah. of the more incorrectly re- referenced books of the Bible. That, that, that's true, sadly, as well, yes. We, are, of course, are talking about Revelation. Um, and uh, that is important to note that uh, there's no S on the end. It is nope. not Revelations, people. It is Revelation. Yeah, I know that all of us Bible nerds do judge you uh, under our breath as uh, when we hear anyone say Re- Revelation. So don't. Oh, uh, it's please, not please, under our breath. It's please openly. Don't say that. Well, I, I'll get to that <laughs> later in the conversation once I've broken the ice and. Yeah, there you once, go. No. Once they know that I have some of their uh, well-being at heart, um, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's something that immediately puts me off and was, and makes me not look forward to discussing apocalyptic literature with this person. But I, do I mean, look, I do look forward to discussing apocalyptic literature with you and our listeners, though, Aaron. Likewise, likewise. I mean, who else are we going to talk about apocalyptic literature know, with don't but you each like, other? Yeah, don't you just like saying it? It just rolls right off the tongue of apocalyptic Absolutely. Literature. I mean, this is what we talk about at dinner. It's what we mm-hmm. talk about every night. It's like, hey, guys, we're going to talk about the apocalypse now and this genre of literature as a whole. And uh, the kids immediately are like, yay! And they're excited. And then we have a great time talking about what that means and what it doesn't. And you get to reference X-Men when you talk about apocalypse. That's true. That actually is more likely to happen around our dinner table. I, I figured so. Uh, he's probably my favorite X-Men villain just while we're you know, <laughs> talking about comic books. Yeah, but not in the movie. He was pretty bad in that. No, I don't recommend they that. They butchered movie. him. No, that's, that's after the X-Men films became bad. So, yeah, don't yeah. don't need to go out of your way to see that one. No, no. All right. So uh, we're going to talk about Revelation today. We are really only going to just scratch the surface because we're talking about chapter one today. But for the next few weeks, this is where we're going to be. Um, and so I'm excited about that because this is a fantastic book. It is a really important book of the Bible and not just because it's the last book in the New Testament. Um, however, that does obviously play a role in why it matters to us. So, Josh, how about you give us uh, some quick background on Revelation, and then we'll read the passage. We'll talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about the book and uh, and what we need to know there. Right. Well, nothing's ever quick with Revelation, and then few times can I, I be quick. But I'll, I'll do my best here to be succinct with with uh, adding some some background to our our discussion. Well, as most of our listeners probably know revelation uh finds itself at the end of the new testament canon it's one of the later books uh written composed i mean there's some debate about that but largely people accepted it it was the latest book written uh a lot of john's writings coming late in the in the first century so around ad 95 96 is uh, 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 date scholars often uh, ascribe to it but there are some cases with you know, some plausibility uh, for a pre-70 AD, AD 70 being a um, important date because that's the destruction of, of Jerusalem and the, and the temple. So 
that had great uh, ramifications for uh, the history of the Jewish people and their, their religious life since it centered around the te temple and things were never really the same for uh, Jews or Judaism uh, since that, that event. So what does, how does that relate to revelation? That's a, that's a pressing question. And why, and if it was written after AD 70, then why is it not referenced explicitly? So could it be foretelling? So that's some of the arguments for a pre AD, AD 70, but it also could be that the author is, is, is drawing on things in light of this event that because this judgment has already come, um, and in the wake of this judgment, we look forward to further further judgment. So that could be something that's informing um, the the writer Revelation, uh, which many believe to be John John the Apostle. But that could be that could be in the background. That could be in his forethought uh, as, in terms of how he's interpreting the events that are to come during this this age of history. Now that Jesus has risen and ascended, is at the right hand of the Father. So we're at a climax point in history. Uh, mm -hmm. with, with the, the apostles going out, planning the church, passing the gospel out to the next generation. And uh, as we see in Acts that we've, we've looked at in previous episodes recently, we uh, see the gospel going forth to all nations. That's a highly significant event that God's words going out to, to the Gentiles, to the nations. And so that was all in the, that was all in the air that the church was breathing as, as revelations being written. Um, as far as, uh, as, I, as I mentioned briefly a second ago with, with authorship, uh, most, most church fathers saw this as John, the son of Zebedee, the apostle John uh, being one and the same, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the same John um, um, that, uh, that wrote the gospel of John and the, uh, the, the, the letters of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll see John the Elder posed as a um possible author but it could just be that that's the same guy just known as john the elder because he's he's older so yeah uh, th those those things are uh are factors to consider but thematically you do have a lot of continuity between john's gospel his his letters his epistles and revelation uh particularly the the image of jesus as the lamb of god and as the one who's identified as the word of god so th this continuity um seems to suggest that, it, that this is the same author or somebody connected to this this same figure but the tradition has been pretty much universal that this is this is john the, the john the apostle uh from the from the first century uh and one one thing we want to take into consideration and this is why revelation seems like such a strange book to us but it, it wouldn't have been so strange to people in the ancient world and around the time of the first century during which it was it was written there is a genre of literature known as apocalyptic and so that's what you'll that's we've already joked about it a, a few times but apocalyptic literature is what gives this book its unique uh characteristics its unique quality among among the canon of scripture now when we hear apocalypse we think of uh, these dry, they're always dusty and like deserts in the, in the movies and shows for some reason, but these, yeah. these, these arid uh, uh, apocalyptic worlds where some cataclysmic event has happened that's changed human history and human society. Mm -hmm. Society is usually broken down at that point. You think it shows like The Walking Dead, Mad Max, F uh, Fury Road. That's a, that's a movie that takes place. Windsor, in Ontario. 
yeah. Windsor, Ontario. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, uh, Aaron has a connection to Ontario. That's that's why that probably came to mind. That's right. That's uh, right. But uh, but um, yeah. So but we don't need to think of those sort of settings. That's kind of the way the term apocalypse is taking on a new meaning in in modern Western uh, culture. So uh, Aaron his reference thanos making the the snap in the avengers infinity war movie that's like the post-apocalyptic sort of sort of situation where, where there is similarity though is it some kind of cataclysmic event for the has taken place and for the new testament authors that have been jesus death burial and resurrection and, and god's word going going forward into the nations and advancing his his plan at this 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 climactic stage of history that's where the apocalyptic comes in apocalyptic in this historical sense from the from the ancient world refers to when things change it's a way of talking about the 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 present visible world in light of heavenly invisible reality so that's why there's so much talk of in description of, of spiritual warfare and heavenly realities uh, throughout the book. So it's a, it's mm -hmm. a form of prophecy was written in to talk about kind of the, the heavenly purpose, the, the behind the scenes that's going on in the spiritual realm that, that affects the, the here and now that goes on and, in, in, in the visible earth. Uh, but more, most importantly for our sake and for the original readers, because we got to remember this meant something to whom it was originally written the mm -hmm. book of revelation is a call to faithfulness in light of who jesus is as the king of kings and lord of lords that's a that's a common identity or title given to jesus and it's basically written to show that jesus went jesus has won and he will win in, in the end so the the message is actually simple despite all this uh clothing and dress and 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 uh seemingly uh convoluted imagery it's more straightforward than, than we sometimes recognize because again these these categories these this this imagery that occurs within apocalyptic uh literature this would have been more intuitive for first century readers for ancient readers because this was a more common uh way to to write about things uh, yeah. than it is for us in our day i i don't know about you Aaron, but i haven't recently composed an essay or poem in apocalyptic form uh, that's not not a normal habit or practice of mine, though it might be an interesting pursuit if I wanted to write lyrics for a uh, death metal band. That that might be where it would come in handy. But uh, I mean, it might come in handy with my next book, so it's fine. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. go for it and see. Now you've now you've intrigued the the listeners uh, to what, <laughs> what you're working on. Uh, that's right. But, I got two chapters left. So well, there you go. There you go. Uh, so here's here's some just a rundown of some some themes that we see. Um, presented in Revelation, but again, it, it's they seem simple and straightforward to us as gospel people who get these doctrines from elsewhere in the New Testament. But this is these doctrines expressed in the apocalyptic genre with a lot of symbolism and, and imagery that that uh, pertain to heavenly and spiritual reality. So you have Jesus conquering Satan, sin, and death, and his and his resurrection. He's ransomed through his atoning death of people from every nation uh, for his own sake to, and for theirs uh, for uh, to make them a kingdom of priests. He's present with his church right now, ruling and reigning for their good and for their behalf, despite the persecution, suffering and martyrdom they, they experience. That's a that's a common theme. Uh, Jesus is firmly in control of all things. He's seated on the throne despite all this crazy chaos we see throughout the through, throughout the book. 
and his enemies are being restrained though they are allowed to be active to a certain extent there there's a restraining of them that keeps them from destroying his church entirely so there, there's purpose behind that behind the suffering which would be very very relevant to a church suffering in the first century under uh roman rule because you had certain em- some emperors some local rulers were more antagonistic toward the faith than others it, there's only a couple times it was widespread universal but around the time this would have been written or in the backdrop of when this was written with nero would have been more wide-scale persecution uh going on the roman empire uh you have jesus depicted as one who's conquering satan uh satan but also his people conquering satan by their faithfulness to jesus the lamb of god and, and the word of god and you have persecution, seduction, you know, temptation talked about uh, with the trials and tribulations that these are Satan's attacks on the church. But ultimately, as we said, Jesus wins in the end. Revelation is about his triumph over all his fo- foes where he will fully redeem and rescue his people. He's going to restore creation to God's original tent, but also to something even better uh, than that original tent with Eden where the, where the whole uh, paradise, the whole of earth is the city, the the new Jerusalem, where uh, there's no need for a temple because God dwells every portion of it. And we all have, uh, as God's people, our share in him. He is our God and we are his people, which is the reason God created everything. And that reason is realized by the end of Revelation to give it uh, a tease or a nutshell of, of what's to come as we continue to explore the book. All right. And uh, with that, what we're going to do now is we're going to read chapter one. And uh, so I'm going to do this quickly and confidently, as always. We're going to ask a few questions, and then we'll talk about how we disciple people through this book. So um, starting in verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the, serv- to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, the one who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in this affliction, kingdom, uh, kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, among, and among the lampstands 
was the was one like the son of man dressed in a robe uh, and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest his the hair of his head was white as wool white as snow and his eyes like a fiery flame his feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace and his voice like the sound of cascading waters he had seven stars in his right hand a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you have seen, what it is, and what will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the, are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right. So there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. At first blush, kind of confusing. Sure. But as we get into it, what are some questions that we should be asking? Well, first, a lot of people might just think, can we skip this book? This is just not my cup of tea. And the answer is uh, no, 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 we can't. It's just like when your kids ask if we can skip dinner for desserts. No, you, you can't do that. That would be unwise because you, you need your you need your, your meats and your vegetables uh, before you uh, get to the sweets. And kind of what we have at the end of Revelation is the sweets. So to, to get to that, we got to get to the meat that is apocalyptic literature that, that, yes. not, that the Holy Spirit saw fit to inspire John to, to write in. And so we need to take into consideration that it's not by accident. This, this genre occurs in the Bible, occurs in other parts of the prophets, specifically the book of Daniel has uh, some apocalyptic in it. So this is something that's also in other parts of scripture and God used this form, this convention of human literature in order to reveal who he is, what he's like, and what his purposes are. So we should take that that seriously and and receive it as a gift, even if it is a mm-hmm. gift we have to work a little harder at uh, because of where we stand historically in relation to this this genre. So yeah. we'll miss we'll miss out on all the good news in it if we skip this this book. Yeah, this book is about what the rest of the New Testament is about, which is Jesus saying Jesus is Lord, that He's the King of Kings and the and the Lord of Lords, and He's ruling and reigning from god's right hand in the here and now even when things seem crazy and chaotic he has purpose in it and then we're going to see his reign become public and visible in the end with the the new heavens new earth after after he returns to dispose of all all his enemies and all the evil and sad stuff that still plagues us presently so so in short no no we can't skip this book awesome Thank you. That is that is helpful. So yes, let's not skip this book. Instead, what we should do is we should ask what what sh- we should make of all the confusing language in it. And so, mm-hmm. particularly as we read through verses nine through sixteen, that's where things start to get uh, a little more challenging right from the get go. Um, again, like we've said already, apocalyptic literature has is filled with imagery that isn't always clear to us as, as 21st century Western readers. It was, but it was clearer to people in a, in a first century, late first century um, context, early Christians 
with some familiarity with the Old Testament and with the Apocrypha and the and, and the Pseudopigrapha. So, and this book really is a reminder for why we need a deeper understanding of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, because it actually helps us to grasp the meaning of this book, because it actually has more references to the Old Testament. Just in Revelation, there are more references to the Old Testament than in any other book of the Bible. So just here's, here's just a sampling of this. We have 34 direct references to the book of Daniel in, in Revelation. We have 49 direct refer- references to Isaiah. We have 31 to Ezekiel. We have 21 to Exodus. We have 23 to the Psalms. We have 16 to Jeremiah. We have 10 to Zechariah. For those who are keeping count, that's 184 direct references, direct quotations of the Old Testament. And then there's all of the allusions that are in there as well. So in that, you'll find references and allusions to Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, both Kings, Proverbs, Hosea, Joel, Malachi, Amos, Job, and Micah on top of that. And if that weren't enough, there are also several quotes from Maccabees, which is part of the Apocrypha. Um, And so we talked about that last week and um, that intertestamental period writing when we talked about Jude a little bit, but it's it's coming back in here in our conversation too. So it's... All of this literature that existed informed what John was writing and how he was how he was interpreting this vision that he saw so that his so that his readers, his audience could understand it. Um, and this is important this is important. And like here's just a quick example of this that we see actually in verses nine through sixteen. We see this description of one who's like a son of man. And that's language that's drawing directly from Daniel 7, 9 through 10, uh, which says this, As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, and its wheels were blazing fire. A a river of fire was, was flowing, coming out of his presence thousands upon thousands served him 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him the court was convened and the books were opened Um, when we see that that immediately it reminds us that or what it's telling us is is that um, John here is saying the Jesus that he that he has seen is the ancient of days that right. Daniel saw. Mm-hmm. And so to get the most out of the out of Revelation, we, we would do really well to make it our aim to be as well versed in the Old Testament as possible. That doesn't mean that we have to be experts, but we need to at least have some familiarity with it, to spend our time reading it, to invest in it, to um, have a deep and profound affection for it. I mean, it's th- it's two thirds of our Bible, so we should care about it quite a bit. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And and building off how John uses this imagery from Daniel seven to describe Jesus, this ancient of days, 
uh, imagery and even son of man imagery because if you go to daniel 7 look at the context uh, the son of man is approached by the ancient of days and it's the ancient of days who confers on him the authority to to rule and to reign so you have both jesus divinity and his humanity uh confirmed here uh with with this with this imagery because he's the ancient of days he's the divine presence as it's described in daniel 7 but he's also the son of man who was being given this authority this everlasting dominion over all all of creation so he's this messiah figure as well so you have this this divine human ruler uh occupying or taking up both identities according to the apostle john as he uses this this imagery from from daniel and this really is a good example that you've highlighted here aaron of how the new testament authors will utilize uh, the old testament and do so in subtle ways and also uh, do so in creative ways to present uh to us who jesus is in view of, of of the old testament understand who he is as messiah so connected to this is 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 jesus is calling himself as described here in john's vision in verse 17 he calls himself the first and the last so that's the next question i want i wanted us to explore is how should we understand jesus calling himself the first and the last and again this builds right off this this ancient of days and son of man uh, imagery that's uh given to us uh both here in revelation and drawing off of daniel 7 uh, Jesus is calling himself God. He's identifying himself as, as God's equal, and nothing is equal to God but God himself. These, ima this image, these images, these visions aren't getting into sp the specifics of, of personal distinctions within the Trinity. So, like as I said, with the divine presence just kind of broadly considered as the, as the Ancient of Days, and then the, the Son of Man, of course, being identified as, as Jesus alone because he... He was an actual human as well but this vision nonetheless that john is experiencing is identifying jesus with nothing less than uh the god of the universe the god of israel the the god of scripture uh, if you look at verse 8 john wants his readers to know that that jesus is is the is the lord god and that's the entire point of the first chapter this gives revelation it's weightiness and it's authority that it's from uh it's the revelation if we if you recall the the language at the very beginning of the book from the first verse it's the revelation of jesus christ so there's authority that it's from jesus that god gave him to show his servants what must soon take place and then he made it known to him by sending his angel to his servant john so you have jesus who is from god and who is also identified as god uh sending uh, this this message to John for him to experience in the form of, of this one vision with this one revelation with many different visions that, that overlap and complement uh, one one another. But yeah. I, that, I think that's an important point to pick up on is how highly this first chapter of Revelation that we can sometimes skip over to get into the middle portions of the book, uh, how highly it regards Jesus and equating him with God himself. Yeah, yeah. And that, again, that's important because uh, it's the right way to come to the Bible is right. to equate Jesus with God because he is God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and so, see how the Bible does that. Yeah. It presents him as such on its own terms, just as John's doing that with these terms that he's using and packing from the book of Daniel. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Now, there's one last thing um, in the passage that we looked at today that is, um, it's a very quick thing. It's something that's easy to gloss over that we should take a peek at, which is in verse 20 of this chapter. Um, he talks about, um, in the vision, we get this description of um, these uh, seven, the seven stars that are the, the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands that are the seven churches themselves. Um, so we're getting an interpretation of a symbol right there with right. itself, which is a good thing. But there's still a question that has to be asked, which is what, so who were these seven angels? And so there's a couple, there's a couple of options that are, that are there to us. And, um, uh, they are, and they could be, and, and it could go any number of ways. I mean, one of these things is, is that, uh, because the word angel meant messenger. Um, and so it could have referred to, um, human messengers or human pastors, um, it could also mean it could also be referring to literal angels who are sent as messengers. Um, what's also likely is that because there is a, a pattern in um, Jewish thinking and in Jewish writing of basically making parallels um, and saying for emphasis the same thing twice, um, mm-hmm. it's also possible that the that um, these seven angels are the personification of each church's identity. And so he's saying that I'm talking about you seven churches specifically, but I'm talking and I'm so pay attention because I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, and then we get to apply from there. The, the, that seems to be the thing that makes the most sense, mm-hmm. but, um, but I mean, uh, regardless, what we know for certain is is that no matter what, there's a message to seven specific churches in right, this, right. and those messages have broader implications to all of us as well that we can learn yeah. from. Just like any other New Testament letter, they're written to specific churches, but they nonetheless have universal application through, to local churches throughout history, and yeah. we can we can we can apply what Jesus is saying to these seven churches by extent, by way of extension and analogy uh, to ourselves and how their problems overlap with our problems or challenges. And they, they believe the same gospel. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, as we, as we come to the end of our discussion of chapter one of revelation and uh, we'll, and buckle up everybody, we're, we're talking about this book for the next few weeks. It's going to be fun. Um, and I'm being completely serious here because Revelation is a really fun book to talk about. Yeah. Um, We're going to make Revelation great again, people. (laughs) So on that note, um, what kind of guidance can we offer our listeners who are discipling others um, through through a study of Revelation? Um, so whether that's in a one-on-one context, whether that's kids, whether that's students or adults. Yeah, well, one thing we can definitely follow John the Apostle's lead on as he writes of his vision is his worshipful posture toward Jesus with this this imagery uh, of him that he's using to depict who Jesus is. So we need to keep this imagery that he's using of the glorified Jesus in our hearts and minds. Jesus is exalted. He's reigning. He's no longer in humble servant form anymore 
Uh, that was before his crucifixion, and but then after his resurrection, he is glorified, and he's in the presence of the right hand of God. He's in his heavenly state, so to speak, and he's not simply a good teacher. He's not just the the, the you know the the average looking carpenter anymore. He he is existing in a fully glorified state, even in his human nature, as it's exalted, as it's been placed into its transformed. Uh, resurrection condition that that we'll all experience with him though we won't be exalted to the you know same exact status obviously jesus is our messiah king but nonetheless um he is he is the exalted ruler of the universe as messiah he's he's nonetheless human but he's also god he's the lord god the god of gods the alpha and omega the first and the last this language we looked at already that that john wrote about so we need to think when we think about jesus and where he is right now he's he's sitting reigning at the right hand of god the father and he's coming to judge the the living and the dead as the the, as the apostles creed says and this this is the vision we need to think when we think of jesus in the here and now well he's at the father's right hand and he's exalted and and mighty we 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 he's no longer in the humble state so now as we we kind of uh we we can perpetuate this idea of jesus's humble servant we need to keep that in our mind about what he did but that was only for a stage now we're talking about the permanent phase of of his ministry as the exalted king and the the priest who intercedes for us along with this we also should use this as an opportunity to challenge one another to uh, like we said earlier just to invest in the old testament um don't neglect it um but um do all we can to to gain mm-hmm. a solid grasp of it, um, because when we have a good grasp of the Old Testament, we understand the New to a greater degree, um, and that understanding comes from those books that often we get bogged down in um, during our annual reading plans, like mm-hmm. Leviticus, like Ezekiel, like the back half of Daniel. Um, like a lot of, like basically the whole, prof- whole prophetic writings section in general, um, really, if we're being honest, uh, but encourage one another, challenge one another to read those, to study them, to enjoy them, um, and then go back to revelation and see how much more you can gain from it. Pay attention. If you have a Bible that has uh, reference points, has has reference notes in it, um, for example, go back and read all of those. Just go back and forth. That's a great starting point way to do it and see, okay, why would John use this? Why would John refer to this verse here? Um, That will help you understand his thinking and understand how the New Testament authors used the Old Testament as well under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's exactly right. And people too too frequently overlook those those cross references you you mentioned. Uh, you know, even a lot of Bibles that aren't study Bibles have those cross references that will note uh, where there are references either by direct quotation or allusion to Old Testament passages from the New, and, and vice versa. If you're in the Old Testament, you find those you sometimes find references to. New Testament allusions and some study Bibles even have articles that, that break this down. So those would be good uh, uses, uh, good resources, good conventions, tools to use to understand this, this, um, this 
the this biblical inner dialogue this 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 intertextuality is what scholars call it where texts are building on and riffing off other texts and that that definitely happens uh in the bible and you see it very fluidly in the um, new testament authors much of the time as you were you were highlighting uh aaron uh one final thing we might want to we might want to note in encouraging our readers to continue not only with our podcasts series here this mini series we'll be doing on on the on the book of, of revelation but also just in exploring the book for themselves or if they're doing a study at their, their own churches using the gospel project or some some other uh material maybe a preaching series something like that but let's don't let the the your experience with the book in the past maybe some maybe you were exposed to some uh lesser quality teaching maybe a lot of um reckless speculation about what the book is about so don't don't let the bad teaching you've been exposed to intimidate you about the book and deter you or discourage you from uh looking into this book uh, cherish it for part of the canon that god gave to us that it is and that it communicates about who he is and what he's like who jesus is and what he's like what he's done for us and what he continues to do for his church and what he will do for his church uh, keep keep all that in mind as you explore and we're going to try to help you along the way and like as we said you use uh, all the resources you can you can get uh, that that will help assist you in understanding what this this book is as apocalyptic literature that's in, that's inspired by the by the holy spirit so there there you probably don't need to be told but there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to this book and there's a lot of misinterpretation now within healthy ways of interpreting revelation there, there's room for debate there is there there is some ambiguity as it comes to a lot of parts of the parts of the bible specifically prophecy and then this particular genre of apocalyptic but the main points can be grasped for for the most part just by trying to play by the book's own yeah. rules the own rules of the genre so just know that going forward as we as we look at this book and as you interact with the book of revelation it's not a code book it's not something that you're supposed to decipher in terms of figuring out exactly what figures and and um, these these vivid uh, images uh, in terms of trying to correlate them with contemporary happenings and in, in, in the news. That that's not what this book is is meant to do. It meant something to the people who lived in the first century who were receiving this book as the original audience. So you have to understand it within that context. Yes, it has relevance and application for all generations of Christian and Christians. And it does speak to things that are going to happen at the, at the very end of history as we know it, but it does speak to the people at the time during which it was written. So that's something you always want to keep in mind when you're reading any, any literature that it, it made sense to the people to whom it was written. We don't want to, practice a sort of chronological snobbery as c.s lewis like to like to um, like to refer to at times uh where we assemble well, our time's the most important time so therefore this book of the bible is about our time because it, it, this is the climax history no this is about the entire uh period of of the uh, of the age associated with the, with the church and history because it's the most important time because this is the time following jesus resurrection and ascension and where the gospel gets known throughout the world before he comes back to consummate all God's purposes in his return. So that's that's what we need to keep keep in view as the larger context uh, and framework for, for approaching this book. Yeah, man, that's a great note for us to end on. So Josh, thanks for talking about this today. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, 
please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.